Well, good morning, One Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful. I, I love the weather. I love fall weather. I love that there's a crisp in the air, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it, enjoyed it as well. We're in week two of our series entitled Star the Monster, and we uh, started this series last week, and uh, we started talking about that all of us have a monster living inside of us. And it's always crying out for more, and it's the monster of entitlement. And we defined entitlement last week simply as this. Entitlement is thinking that you have the right to something that's actually a privilege. That you have a right to something that's actually a privilege. If you think about it, most of the stuff in our culture is actually a privilege. You know, to have a car that we drive, a job that we go to... Uh, food is a privilege. It's also kind of a right to life, but it's a privilege because so many of us, we have a whole lot more food than what we probably need. Uh, the cars that we drive, the houses uh, that we live in, all of those things are a privilege. And so many times we treat what is really a privilege as a right. And you know, when your eight-year-old asks for a really expensive smartphone, I mean, you know, Christmas is around the corner. And you probably think, you know, you really don't have a right to that smartphone, and probably you shouldn't even have the smartphone because you're probably going to jack it up. I mean, with Christmas just around the corner, we're going to be digging really a lot into this because uh, for those that have kids, you know how it is. With Christmas just around the corner, they, they want so much, and they almost feel entitled to it. And uh, we're going to be really drilling into the, uh, down into that next week in part three of our series, as we talk about feeding little monsters, that all of us, we have kids who feel entitled. What do you do when that happens? But the reason why we're spending a month on it is because before we can get to our kids, we've got to get to us, don't we? Because many times, our kids have learned it from us, that we are entitled. And the reason why uh, that's so important, and I've kind of drilled down on this, I've, I've been getting a lot of the context and the sources for this series from two different locations. First one is a book called The Entitlement Cure uh, by Dr. John Townsend. By John, Dr. John Townsend. Very good book. But a second uh, thing that I've been kind of processing through is I've, I'm just coming off of a six-month uh, spending fast. And I heard about the spinning fast by a guy who's a pastor. He's a church leader up in Canada. His name is Kerry Newhoff. And Kerry um, Newhoff was talking about the spinning fast. And I just I kind of hated it when he was talking about it. I was listening to the podcast. And I thought, well, maybe the reason why I hate it is because maybe God wants me to do that. Because I struggle with it. So, um, so, so for the past six months, I've just kind of struggled through, okay, well, I'm, just, I'm not going to spend any discretionary income on me. And I, I talked a lot about that last week. But one of the things I've learned in these few months is that many times I feel like I'm entitled to some things that really I should not be entitled at all to. And one of the things that we looked at last week is we looked at five different signs that you're struggling. And I want to kind of go through those quickly this morning. The first sign is a lack of gratitude. A lack of gratitude. And this is probably the biggest one. We're going to spend a lot about this on our time next week. But my challenge is, is that so many times the things that we get we have very little contentment of, and they really don't satisfy us. So our challenge is simply this. I'm challenging all of us in here that call onechurch.tv our home to not go shopping on Thanksgiving. You're welcome to go shopping on Black Friday, do all of that stuff. But on Thanksgiving, I am challenging you and I'm challenging me to stay at home and spend time with family. 
In fact, and I'm talking a little bit about this, that uh, if you don't have any family to spend time with, uh, one of the things that we're wanting to do this year is we're wanting to uh, hook up people who have no family here with people who said, you know what, I got a little bit too much food. I got some extra room around our, our dining room table, our kitchen table, and we're going to get you guys together. So we want to uh, just pretty much alleviate all excuses that you might have of not being around friends or family uh, this, uh, this Thanksgiving season. So I would encourage you uh, on Thanksgiving, when you're not shopping, to take a picture, take a selfie of you uh, and your friends around that table, and I want you to post it on social media under the hashtag ThanksNotThings. You know, it's called Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving, Right? So if that is the case, then we need to be more grateful and we need to be thankful for what we have instead of just turning it into another shopping holiday. I mean, if you really think about it, most of the things that you're going to purchase on Black Friday or Brown Thursday or uh, Cyber Monday or whatever that is, in 10 years, you know where they're going to be? They are going to be in a garage sale. Or if people don't purchase on a garage sale, where are they going to be? In the dump, the, the Dover landfill. Exactly right. So ask yourself, do I really need to go into shopping lines or can I, should I spend my Thanksgiving around the kitchen table with friends and family? So I'd encourage you to make sure to do that. Also, secondly, another sign that you're struggling is envy coupled with why can't we? Envy is just jealousy and it's saying, you know, how come we can't have that? How come they get to live in the good neighborhood and we don't get to live in the good neighborhood? How come they get to drive such a nice car and I drive Renorec? Uh, how come they get granite and they get marble and they get hardwood and I'm stuck with laminate? Um, why do they get to go to Disney every year and we get to go camping again? We, right? So envy is coupled with why can't we? Third thing, a sense that you deserve something that you deserve something. I deserve to play golf. I deserve a day off. I deserve a day at the spa. Some of you guys say that regularly. Um, it's a sense that you deserve something. I deserve to have this done, or, or I deserve that office. I deserve that. And really, at the end of the day, you realize that you don't deserve much. And I really don't deserve much. As we shared last week, one of the ways that this has kind of manifested itself in me as, a, as, a, as an entitlement mentality is when I go to a restaurant and I receive poor service. That what we usually do when we receive poor service is do what? We tip very poorly. And my challenge for all of us is to no longer do that. That maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe leaving them a good tip because leaving them a good tip is going to show uh, exactly who you are. Especially if you're going to pray before your meal. I mean, if you're going to kind of try to show Jesus to them, then definitely tip well. That's our challenge. Fourth, secret anger. You know, secret anger is when, you know, you're not really an angry person. People don't know you as angry, but inside you're just seething. And, and you're just mad because she got it and he got the promotion and she's better looking and whatever. And again, where this comes across, it's secret anger, but we're really angry at God. Because God didn't come through for us. God didn't provide that for us. Maybe you're single and you're angry that God has not provided you a spouse yet. And you're just angry at, really, you said to other people, but you're really, just really ticked at God. And that secret anger many times poisons not only all of our other relationships, but poisons our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then the last one is rationalization. 
rationalizing. And as we talked about last week, there's so many of our purchases are emotional, so much of our spending. We just want it, we go to the mall, we buy something, and then all of a sudden you have to backfill it with logic, and that's rationalization. It's where we tell ourselves rational lies, we lie to ourselves. It was on sale, I needed it, or I deserve it, or the old one was going to break anyway. That is rationalization. When you rationalize, you tell yourself rationalize, and you're no longer thinking clearly. But every time you, you, you're not truthful with yourself, you feed the monster, and the monster grows larger. Last week, we looked at this question, when is enough enough? Anybody remember the answer to that? Never. Enough is never enough. The problem is that it's never enough. The Bible says that if you love money, you will never have enough. And if you really never seem to have enough, then you probably love money. And what we discovered last week, everybody remember the potato chips? How many of y'all, y'all ate those before, before you got off campus? All right, quite a few of y'all, all right? Me too, all right? <clears throat> um, but w- what we discovered is we had that bag of potato chips, right? And none of you were really hungry for potato chips until we gave you a bag of potato chips and told you not to eat it. And then you were like, oh, potato chips. Right? And then we asked you to look at the potato chips. We asked you to open up the potato chips, to smell it. Some of you licked it. Right? And then I challenged you to eat just one. And what did we discover? With Lay's, you can't eat just one, can you? You can't. You, it, you, I mean, to, we feed the appetite, it grows. Feeding an appetite fuels it, but denying an appetite curbs it. Now, today... We're going to be looking at this whole idea of entitlement in a different perspective. And it's all centered around value, what we value. You feel most entitled by the things that you value the most. I mean, if you think about it, that's our assumption, that when you, what you're pursuing has greater value than what you currently possess. Otherwise, guess what? You wouldn't pursue it. So what I am pursuing has greater value than what I currently possess. That is our assumption. So the better house has more value than the house that we're currently in. The better husband, he has more value than the husband that we're currently with. The better relationship has more value. The better car has more value. More money has more value than what we currently possess. And we want to ask this question today, is that really true? Is that really true? You see, you probably have never thought about entitlement that way. How does entitlement work? Well, it has to do with value. What do you value? If we have this assumption that what we're pursuing, maybe what we feel entitled to has greater value than what we currently possess. In other words, what I got today is okay. But what I'm getting next is great. The next upgrade, the next model, the next car, the new neighborhood, the new job, the new clothes, the new friends, the next vacation, that next one will be fantastic. So here's the question we want to ask. If that is your assumption, what I'm pursuing has greater value than what I currently possess, the question we want to ask today is, what if you are overvaluing what you're pursuing? What if you are overvaluing what you're pursuing? What if your value system is off? What if you are overvaluing what you're pursuing? Now, again, I don't know how that works with you, but as kids, I think all of us have experienced this, right? 
I remember as a kid watching the commercials on television. Just get, take yourself back. Anybody remember getting the Sears catalog? I mean, when the Sears catalog came, you would open that up, and I would circle stuff. And then I would, and remember, back then there was only three channels. ABC, CBS, and NBC. PBS was a little fuzzy. Okay? And they didn't have no commercials. But I, you'd sit there, and the TV would be right here, and you'd just sit there and look. And you would look at the next shiny thing. I remember looking at so many of these toys and these toy commercials. And when the toy came up and the action figure came, the, you know, the background was so amazingly cool. And when the, when, the guy, when the little boy got the toy, all of his friends came running, right? And you played with it, and it was so amazing. So I, I wished for that for Christmas. And then when I got it, you know what I realized? I'd overvalued it. That when I played with the toy, none of my friends came running. You know, all of the cool backgrounds on the commercials, when I put it in the kitchen against the, you know, the green laminate floor, it didn't look that cool. The, the toy that I, I was so wanted, I had overvalued, and it wasn't as cool as I thought. Now, again, you know that, you remember that as kids, and your kids experience that. Here's the problem, is when we grow up to be adults, we still stay in the cycle of overvaluing things. Because we look at the next car and we go, oh, if I just had that next one. If I had the newer version, if I had the 6S, if I had the, you know, the faster processor, if I had the more horsepower, if I had the newer model, man, it would be amazing. And I would have a whole lot more friends and all of this stuff. And guess what? Perhaps, just perhaps, maybe you're overvaluing what you're pursuing. Some of you, you literally did this. Like, you, um, somebody tipped you off to a good investment, and you put money in that good investment, and then after a year, that investment lost half of its value? And, and how did that work out for you? Not good. Some of you, you purchased your dream house. I mean, the house of your dreams, and interest rates were low, and things were great. The problem is the, the housing bubble burst. And they raised your rates, and now you owe more money on a house than what it's worth. Or maybe you wanted the best, and you wanted the newest model car, and you got it, and you drove it off the lot, and as soon as you drove it off the lot, it depreciated 40%. And then you, it, it got wrecked. And now you're paying money on a car payment on a car that you don't even have anymore. You overvalued it. For, and that, those are just tangible things. What about the intangible things? What if you're overvaluing? What if you're really building your life on something that really doesn't have any value? I mean, you think it does, but human beings, we are notorious for overvaluing and misvaluing things, and we can see that throughout human history. I mean, hang out with me for a sec. Just in the 20th century alone, We've seen a lot of different bubbles. A financial bubble is when a group of people paid tremendous amounts of money for things that really weren't worth that much. Uh, it's like uh, when, uh, when Tom Warner bought AOL. Anybody remember AOL? Anybody, anybody still using AOL? None of us, right? Think about that. But that was the only way to get in, uh, on the Internet back in the 90s, Right? I mean, that was the only way. So Tom Warner paid 
billions of dollars for something that's junk. Or let's go, go through a little bit more. There was the housing market. There was the real estate bubble. There was the stock market bubble. There was the dot-com bubbles, just to name a few. And in each instance, the price, inflation, the people paid exorbitant amounts for things that shouldn't have been worth anything like the going price. And each time, people stood around afterwards scratching their head going, what were we thinking? Now, one of the most interesting examples I know of that really proves this idea happened 400 years ago in Europe, in Holland. The Dutch were very, very industrious and very frugal, but they got into a type of bubble of their own, and it had nothing to do with the stock market, because the stock market wasn't even around at that time. In the early 17th century, the Dutch got into speculative trading around tulips, I can't even make this smut up, all right? Now, what was happening is the tulip was not native to Holland. The tulip was introduced by the Turks. Dutch traders went down to Turkey, and the Dutch were like the super powerhouse of the the 17th century, just like the British ruled the 19th century, and America ruled the 20th and 21st century, and who knows what's going to happen in the 22nd century or whatever. But the Dutch trading routes brought them into contact with the Turks traders who had tulips. Now, tulips in Turkey were such beautiful flowers that the Islamic religion held the tulip to be sacred. So the Dutch imported the tulip back to Holland, and they began to really place a lot of value on tulips. Back in the 17th century, there were exclusive varieties of tulips, and they all began to increase in value, so much so that in the spring of 1637, this is going to be crazy for y'all, listen to this, a trader by the name of Francois Kouster bought two dozen tulips. By the way, I have two dozen tulips right here. Bought two dozen tulips for the price of $1.6 million. Right? $1.6 million. He paid $1.6 million for 24 tulip bulbs. Now, I have two dozen tulips here, which means I should have $1.6 million in my possession. Anybody want any of this? I mean, this right here will pay for the land and the building. All right, dollar make me... Hey, I'll do something strange for some change. That's what you need to know, all right? (laughs) But back in 1637... Y'all make sure to tweet me on that one. 1637, Francois Couster paid $1.6 million dollars for some flowers two dozen flowers and suddenly finally somebody woke up and said duh these are flowers these are tulips one bad frost and they gone right so panic ensued and the price plummeted and people lost their fortunes people lost their homes over flowers now some of you are saying that's dumb I know there's a B there. That's dumb, right? I mean, and we're so, we're so much farther along, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> How about, anybody remember this right here? People paid thousands of dollars for some Beanie Babies. You know how much these things are worth today? You can't give these things away. You can't, right? 
And again, some of you, you know exactly what this is. I mean, we dumb things like beanie babies or tulips. And some of you, you bought that stock because your brother-in-law kind of gave you the inside tip and it didn't work out for you. And the housing bubble burst and it's scary times, interest rates went sky high, banks called in note homes, all this stuff. Here's our big idea for today before we get to our scripture. Our big idea is simply this. Overvaluing. Everybody say overvaluing. Overvaluing the wrong things will cause you to overlook the best things. I want to, let's say that together. Overvaluing the wrong things will cause you to overlook the best things. That is exactly what happened in the 17th century with the Dutch around flowers. Remember, the assumption is that what you are chasing, what you feel entitled to, has greater value than what you currently have. Now, what if we spent our current, our entire lives overvaluing something that were really hyperinflated, causing us to overlook what was really important, the best things? Today, we're going to look at some stories that Jesus told, uh, stories that Jesus told with a point. It's called a parable. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. And I just want to kind of dig in to a few of the stories that Jesus told. And what Jesus is going to tell us in these stories, that it's possible to chase after junk. It's possible to chase after the cars, the, 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 the stuff, the jobs, the house, the promotion. It's possible to chase after all of that stuff and really overlook the best things. Jesus says you can chase after the things of this life. You can go after think that, you know what, some of you, you've been going after, I just, if I could just be successful. But when you die and you go to heaven, I believe that there's going to happen so many times. In fact, it's the reason why I'm here today. After you die and you think that's the end, you're going to wake up and you're going to see that the Bible really was true. And you're going to think, oh my goodness, I blew it. I, va- I misvalued, I overvalued some things. And some of you have already had that moment already. Because you valued a hobby so much, you, you were just so passionate about it that you spent all of your spare time on it and you neglected your spouse. You neglected that relationship. And one day your wife said, you know what, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And you kind of like missed what was the best thing. You overvalued the wrong thing. You overvalued the car. You overvalued playing golf. Some of you will overvalue junk to purchase Uh, during the sales at Christmas, these amazing sales that will lure you on Thanksgiving Day when you should be spending time with family and friends, and it's going to cause you to overvalue junk that will end up in a landfill and and you're going to miss the best things in life. And it has nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with friendship and with family. You misvalue the wrongs. Let me give you an example. Um, This is a picture of Richard Williams. It's my dad's, uh, excuse me, my wife's father. Uh, My wife, as some of you know, lost her father almost eight weeks ago in a tragic accident. And Richard Williams, he served in special forces in fifth group for uh, for 26 years in the army. Uh, He served two tours in Vietnam. And we always spent Thanksgiving together. Um, Last year, we didn't. Uh, We didn't go shopping. We decided to uh, spend it uh, elsewhere. Um, but we didn't spend Thanksgiving together with Richard. And you know, what we would do to have another Thanksgiving with Kim's dad? You see, overvaluing the wrong things 
will cause you to overlook the best things. And some of you, you're going to spend Thanksgiving, or you could have spent Thanksgiving with some people that may not be here next year. Some of you are in financial trouble, and your world is turned upside down because you overvalued the wrong things. And it, and it caused you to overlook the best things. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 44, says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a what? A treasure a man discovered hidden in a field. Now, have you ever thought that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure? I mean, some of you have, and that's awesome. I would say probably for most of us, it's like, eh, you know, I kind of value God, I kind of value church, and I, kind of, I get that, but I really don't see it as a treasure. But Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me just define what the kingdom of heaven is. It is the afterlife, it is heaven. But what the kingdom of heaven is, is simply this. The kingdom of heaven is, um, is, the, is the synonym for the things of God. What God does. It's not just heaven, but it's kind of like God's value system here on earth. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. So it is heaven, but it's also what's happening here on earth that has to do with God. Now, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And in fact, he teaches this in just a few verses earlier. He says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the what? Smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest garden plants. Now look at this. Here's a picture of a mustard seed. That's a really small seed. And it grows into that tree there to your left. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's pretty small. It's small to see. And because it's so small, it's easily undervalued. Yet it grows into a really large plant. Jesus' point, don't undervalue something because it starts out small. The kingdom of heaven starts out really small. Look at the next verses, verse 33. Jesus also used to illustrate this use this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a what? Little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated all of the dough, every part of the dough. The point, Jesus, just a little bit of yeast can change an entire batch of dough. Just a, the kingdom of heaven, just a little bit of doing things God's way can change your entire life. But it starts out small, so don't undervalue it. Don't misvalue it. Don't miss it. And it's easy to miss it. If you don't focus on God, you're going to miss it. Let's go back to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure a man discovered in a field. Now, we've all heard about stories of buried treasure. Uh, one of my favorite movies, The Goonies, right? Love me some Goonies. All right, Goonies, they find the, uh, the buried treasure, right? Some of you, uh, like my son, he just popped up. He's like, okay, I'm listening to you now. All right, uh, and see, or, or gangsters, we hear about gangsters burying treasure or stuff like that. Well, listen, that was a very common occurrence back 2,000 years ago. Because, see, 2,000 years ago, there were no banks. So if you had something that was very, very valuable, what you would do is you would go, and if you had a field, you would plant this treasure in a field. So Jesus says, imagine you're this random dude, and you discover this treasure of a field that you don't own. A pretty common scenario during that day. You're just an average laborer, and you discover the $1.6 million buried in a field. What do you do? Next verse. 
in his excitement, he hit it again and sold what? Everything he owned to get enough money to buy this field. Wouldn't you do that? I mean, do you see how the value system shifted? Your house was really important until you discovered a treasure that was worth 10 10 times the amount of your house. Your car was really important until you discovered that treasure that you could buy 50 cars for that amount. So you you would do exactly what this guy did. He sold everything. Now, look at what it says, verse 44. In his excitement, he, he hit it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The landowner, landowner doesn't know that there's treasure in this field. So I, 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 this guy says, okay, I'm going to sell everything that I have so I have enough money to buy it off of this guy. And he approaches the landowner. Hey, uh, that field down the street, that's a couple acres? How much you want for that? It's not for sale. All right, well, 5000 an acre? Eh, nah, I really don't want to sell it for that. 15000 an acre? Nah, 50000 an acre. Sold. Done, right? So the guy, he's laughing all the way to the bank. Because the guy who just purchased it goes and he unearths the treasure. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things, is that valuable. That when you see God working here in your life, and not only here in this life, but in the afterlife, it will cause your value system to shift. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that, you know what, have you ever thought about that? And most people would say, no, I really haven't. Has anybody ever thought that the things of God are really that valuable? And Jesus says, well, they are. So Jesus tells another parable, a story with a point. Again, verse 45, the the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for what? Choice pearls. Now, in Jesus' day, merchants would hire divers to go and dive in the Persian Gulf, into the Red Sea, into the Mediterranean, even into the Indian Ocean, and they would dive looking for pearls. And sometimes if they discovered a really choice pearl, it would be worth millions. It was worth risking life and limb to be able to get that. And, you know, here's the thing. All of us, we understand that business. Now, if somebody came up and whispered in your ear, hey, listen, this next big thing is getting ready to flood the market. The next whatever. And it's going to change everything and how we do business and how we, how we live life. You would totally sell everything that you have to invest in that if you knew it was that valuable. This is what, how Jesus ends in verse 46. When he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold what? Everything. Thank you. And he owned and he bought it. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God, the things of God have more value than you realize. How do we know that to be true? Well, what does that mean? Because even though many of you have been in church for a long time, and, and some of you are new to church, and that probably doesn't even make sense to you, but if you've been in church for a long time, you're like, you know, I kind of, I never thought of things of God like that. You know, I mean, I I like church. Church is fun, and I'll come to church if I'm not too sleepy, or like if if it fits into my schedule. And, you know, I'll read the Bible if I have trouble sleeping at night, and it'll help me put me to sleep. And God is sort of of like an addition to my life. He kind of makes my life better. But do I really think that God is valuable? Well, for the most part, 
No. Jesus says, you better think again. Because you are missing the valuation here. You completely underestimated what all of this is worth. Now, how much, let me ask you a question. How much did God think this kingdom of heaven? How valuable do you think the kingdom of heaven was to God? Well, it was so valuable. He thought you were so valuable that he became human flesh. That's why we, we celebrate Christmas. He, he became human flesh. He suffered and died for you. Jesus rose again so that you can have a relationship with him. And God says, you want to know how valuable I think people are to me? Do you want to know how valuable my relationship with people is? I am willing to die. I am willing to give my one and only son. And I, he did die, and he rose again so that you can have a relationship with your heavenly father that is how valuable people are to me so let's think about it this way what would you lay down your life for what would you lay down your life for kids sure spouse if they haven't ticked you off recently that's probably about it right you wouldn't lay down your life for probably anything else And Jesus says, my value system is really clear. You, the people I created, you are so valuable, I would give my life so that I can have a relationship with you. What Jesus is saying to you and to me is simply this, that when you begin to understand the value of the kingdom of God, you will start to value and see things differently. You will. And some of you are beginning to assess what that means because you kind of stumbled into this new life with Jesus Christ and you're kind of seeing things brand new for the very first time. And what was very important to you years ago really isn't that important to you anymore. Why? Because you've realized that he has given you forgiveness and he's given you love and peace. And the things that were just kind of eating at you and and kind of eating at how you viewed yourself and how you viewed other people, all of that stuff is just evaporated. For some of you, others of you, you're successful, but you still feel empty inside. Whatever you do, all the money that you get, all the more success, more cars, more sex, better houses, better vacations, better stuff, it never quite solves it. You're never quite satisfied and when you realize that the one who is really missing out of your life isn't a thing but it's a person it's Jesus Christ when you begin to put that and put him into place in your life you will go that has value he has value and some of you already know this because your story is this is who I was before I met God but now this is who I am after I've met God and he's changed my life And I'm radically different. Jesus says, if you want to put that value into context, it's very, very simple. Everybody always asks, what is this Christianity and Bible thing? You know what? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about relationships. In fact, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. That the first thing in life that's really important is our relationship with God that comes only through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, the second one is just as important. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Your relationships with people, your relationship with God. And did you read the last part of that verse? Love your neighbor what? As yourself. Just your relationship with you. That if you want to have a right, a right relationship with yourself, which I believe can only come through Jesus Christ. You see, when you, when you see yourself how God sees you, you will change. Your life will change. Jesus will say, you will see that you are valuable. When you find it, it changes your, your valuation system. It changes everything. Why? Because overvaluing the wrong things will cause you to overlook the best things. Maybe, just maybe, at the root of our entitlement is we just don't have our value system right. And you know, I get it. I'm just distracted as the next guy. I mean, we get distracted by cars. We get distracted. I get distracted by technology. And there's times where my value system goes off. But I, and, I, and again, my temptation, my poison might be something different than your poison. But here's what I know. That when our tendency, when we overvalue the wrong things, it causes us to overlook the best things. Again, some of you have already had that experience. You neglected relationships. You neglected parents. You neglected your children. You neglected your relationships over stuff. And the reason why we're so encouraging you, this is the reason why we're so encouraging you not to miss Thanksgiving. Not to miss that. But to build relationships with people. What Jesus is saying is this. Pay more attention to relationships and stuff. With your relationship with your Heavenly Father, with your relationship with your family, with your relationship with friends, with your relationship with the family of God. You know, I should have paid more attention to her when I had her, but I didn't, so I lost her. One day you're going to see what's really at stake. You and I, when it comes to God and His love for you, one day we're going to understand what it means for Jesus to have died for your sins because he loves you. One day you will understand what it means when Jesus says, I want to have a relationship with you. I love you. Uh, do you know when that realization is going to come? All of us are going to realize that one day. All of us will realize it when we die. It will be then that everything will be made clear and the haze will become clarity. And some of us, we're going to be able to say, I am so glad. I'm so glad I didn't miss it. I'm so glad I didn't miss my relationship with him. I'm so glad I did not miss my, my value system on what Jesus is and who he is for me. And some of us, we're going to be so relieved during that day. And others of us, we're going to be so regretful because we're going to have realized that Jesus really did die for us, but it's going to be too late to make a difference. You see, everything will be made clear and be made plain once we're dead. It's going to happen when we die, because when we die, all the value system, stuff that we thought were really, was really expensive that we should have, I mean, that, that we just, we, some of us poured our life into we're going to get up to heaven and it's going to be fool's gold. It's going to be like costume jewelry. Worth nothing. 
But the others of us, things that didn't look that great here on earth, like loving your enemies, like helping out the person at Subway who didn't have enough money, the homeless person on the side of the street, the person in your life that keeps on rejecting God, rejecting God, and you keep on inviting him or her to church, and they keep on saying, no, no. But eventually, what you're going to see is that God's word is true, and they're going to, because you're faithful, God's going to do something amazing. He's going to show up. He's going to show out in their life. They're going to walk through those doors one day, and with tears in their eyes, they're going to say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's some of you here today. Some of you are here today, and you're like, you know what? Church is a, it's kind of a good thing, and it's fun, and you know, it's, I, I like the music. I mean, the, the dude's kind of humorous, and I, I, you know, I, I'll fit it into my schedule. But it's not really a val- part of your value system. So I'm going to challenge you as we close today that some of you need to begin a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And let me tell you how that happens. It doesn't happen by just showing up and becoming a part of the crowd. You don't become a Christian just by showing up to church, just like me going into a garage doesn't make me a tire. It doesn't happen by just showing up. It doesn't happen by putting anything in the offering plate. The only way that happens, that you begin a relationship with God, is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. This is what 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. A question? Do you have the Son of God in your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If there's any doubt in that, let's just, let's just remove all the doubt this morning. And let's laser focus in on your relationship with God by talking to Him today. By you just talking to Him. That's what prayer is. And you saying, God, I'm doubting through some of this stuff. I I don't know if I really have a relationship with you. But God, what I'm asking today is that I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of all of my sins. Lord, I believe in him. I trust in him. And Lord, I pray that you would allow me to be a part of his life and his life to be a part of mine. Lord, I trust and I I just pray. I, I confess that he is the boss, the Lord of my life, and he is my Savior. And if you do that, you don't have to say it exactly how I say it. If you do that, though, it's a heart thing. He will listen to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, it is all about trust. And it's all about where we put our faith. For so many of us, God, we've been putting our faith in our bank account. We've been putting our faith 
in friendships. We've been putting our faith in just showing up to church. And Lord, all of those things, God, Lord, are not, not a place that's going to save us. The only thing that saves us, the only thing that gives us life is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Lord, for those people in here today who really don't know if they have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would be able to trust it all in him. That we would truly be able to say, God, my life is in your hands. I trust it all to you. And Lord, I pray right now as they cry out to you, God, as they say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I trust in you, Jesus. Lord, that what we know, because your word tells us, is that there are angels in heaven rejoicing because one person has come into a relationship with you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. We're going to leave with a song, and it's this song, Trust It All. For some of you, I don't know what you've been trusting in. I don't know where the entitlement for you comes in. But as we stand and as we sing this song, I pray that we would be able to do exactly what, God, what this song is telling us to do. Through all of the junk, all of the stuff that's in our hands, that we would be able to give to God and we would be able to trust Him. So let's stand up as the band leads us. Let's sing.